Grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Uh, this morning, we, we, we really, this is part two of, of a single uh, message. Uh, because verses 14 and 17 serve as a single unit. But because of the magnitude of uh, this text and how it fits within the Bible itself, our, uh, our Christian theology, uh, the application of it, uh, didn't want to, to rush it. So we were wanting to pick up where we left off this morning, verses 15 and 17. As we look at uh, how through the Spirit, we are not only free from condemnation and free from sin, but we are welcomed into the family of God. So with that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's Word. Let's read verses 14 to 17 again. Apostle Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask that you would be so kind as to uh, open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our entire being. <coughs> Forgive me for coughing. Um, but as now that we are all awake, and I still feel like I need a cough, that we may marvel that we are your children. May I decrease so you can increase. Name yourself, we pray. Amen. Well, forgive me. Confession time. I ate a Snickers before service. <laughs> so um, so uh, I'm sure the youth heard that. And uh, um, now they're talking about the apocalypse down there, I guess. Uh, so with that, I am a little nervous. What I've learned my lesson now. Uh, if I have to cough again, I will do something else. But uh, um, don't you wish you were deaf in one ear? Uh, Anyway, so uh, Romans chapter 5, I did not cough that time. Let's do this one. Is that all right? Just in case. So, you've been spared. Now I can cough all that I want to. Um, Roman, uh, Romans chapter 8, pick up where, where, where we left off this morning. I want to read a list of famous people to you, and you tell me what they all have in common, okay? Uh, John Lennon, Nelson Mandela, Bill Clinton, Jesse Jackson, Steve Jobs, Edgar Allan Poe, Babe Ruth, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, you may have already noticed that that comes from a, quite a, a range of, of, of timelines, right? You, you have uh, Jesus all the way back in the first century uh, to more recently figures like Bill Clinton in, in, who is still living. So, so you have them all the way in between. Uh, Babe Ruth in, in the early 20th century. Steve Jobs passed away just a few years ago. You, you see that they, they cover a wide variety of, of vocations. You have poets, Edgar Allan Poe. You have inventors and entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs. You have politicians like Bill Clinton, Nelson Mandela. You have musicians like John Lennon, uh, uh, rabbis, preachers like uh, Jesse Jackson and Jesus of Nazareth. And, and it's so, so they, they don't fit there. Uh, they're across racial boundaries. You have Middle Eastern like Jesus. You have African American like Jesse Jackson. White like Bill Clinton. You, you, you have North, South, East, West. Americans, non-Americans. You, you have them all over the place. But what do they all have in common? 
Each of them were adopted. Now, I'm, 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 I'm cheating a little bit with Jesus in that he was not the biological son of, of Joseph, but nevertheless treated as the son of Joseph in the biblical text. But beyond that, all of these men were adopted. Politicians, musicians, inventors, entrepreneurs, poets, athletes, rabbis. It might surprise many of us to, to discover that adoption lies at the center of the gospel. Jared Packer, I believe this is in his uh, most famous book, I would recommend it to you, called Knowing God. He would try to summarize the gospel into three words. And the three words he came up with was adoption by propitiation. That is, that by the sacrificial work of Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. Those three words are summa summation of the gospel. That is to say that we can't understand salvation. And if we can't understand salvation, we can't understand the Christian journey apart from this doctrine of adoption. This morning, we talked about the nature of our adoption in verse 14. The nature of our adoption. And, and it's summarized there. Uh, we, those who are led by the Spirit know that we are sons of God. And remember what, what we said, that, that the Spirit of God in chapter 8 is to remind us what we should already know is true. So when we struggle with the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do do, I don't want to do, Romans chapter 7, is that we need these remembrances. And the first is that we are no longer sinners but saints. And the second one we see here is we are no longer slaves but sons. And we get into the meat of it, the nature we saw this morning. But starting in verse 15, we see with the nature in mind, we see the fruit of our adoption. Whenever I got scared as a child, I, sh I shared a few weeks ago that with our kids, I'd pick them up and we'd go window to window during storms. But if I got scared as, as, a, as a little guy, um, I, I didn't first go into mom and dad's room. We had a rule. You stay out of mom and dad's room. To this day, I don't go into mom and dad's room. I don't like to even look into their room, which was a shock to me that when, when we had kids, there was apparently an open door policy that took me a while to get used to. That open door policy was they come in and I leave. That's what it ended up being, okay? I guess it's the couch for me tonight, kids. Anyway, so, so but when I got scared as a kid, um, I, would, I wouldn't go to mom and dad's initially, though I would at times, we'll get there, but I would go to my sister's room. And, and I was too nice to just say, hey, sis, I'm scared. I'm getting in bed with you. No, I would do the creepier option. I would stand in the doorway and stand there. Like this. It's odd, isn't it? It's just creepy. Just, just stand there. I wouldn't say, psst, sissy. I wouldn't do any of that. I would just stand there like a, like a ghost that just came out from underneath her bed. And she would sense my presence. And she'd wake up and there is the outline of a figure in the dark in her, in her bedroom door. And she'd say, Kyle, please tell me that's you. I say, yes, yeah, sis, that's me. That's me. And she would, she, she, she slept in a, a, a like water bed, like a real water bed from like the 60s. Some of y'all remember this. And because of her arthritis. And so uh, I, you were super warm in it and everything else. However, if I was super, super scared, maybe a bad dream or thought I heard something or whatever it was, not a storm, but I mean like petrified scared that you get, I would bypassed my sister. I slept, uh, I shared a room with, with my brother and he was useless. Um, but I would bypass my, my sister's room and go into my parents' room. But I wouldn't wake them up. I wouldn't jump in the middle of their bed. I would simply grab a pillow, grab a blanket, and get as close to my father's side of the bed as I could. 
In fact, I would sleep with my back up. They had a board. Uh, it was a drawer. I would sleep with my back up to it because that was as close as I could get to my father. It got so bad that, that my father, when he would get up early in the morning, had to look down because he had stepped on me several times. I didn't announce it, but I knew early on, as many of us knew, that proximity means protection. The closer I was to to my father, the safer I would be. The same is true with our spiritual lives. The closer we are to the father, the less we have to fear. Isn't this why we sing a, 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 a hymn that we sing here? Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Notice Paul's connection between slavery and sonship here in verse 15. For you did not receive, that is, receive from the Spirit of God, a spirit of slavery, which would then bring you back into fear. But you have received from the Spirit of God in the gospel the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Notice again that connection between slavery on the one hand, sonship on the other. After all, think about it. Slaves have every reason to fear. They don't know what the next day brings. It could be the same thing as as the previous 100 days. Or it could mean abuse. could mean being sowed. It could mean separated from your family. It could mean anything. They have no assurance. They have no foundation. They are simply slaves. They have absolutely no security, and thus they live in a constant state of fear. And remember here that when Paul writes this, he is writing as a descendant of slaves, a descendant of slave. And not only that, but around him are thousands of slaves. In fact, scholars estimate that about 10% of the Roman Empire were slaves. Slavery in the Roman Empire wasn't based off of racial or ethnicity, although there was some of that. It was primarily based off of you, you, you lost in a war and your people are sold into slavery, or you could sell yourself into slavery and a host of other reasons. But nevertheless, 10%. In fact, there's so many slaves in Rome. Story goes that the, uh, Rome wouldn't let slaves wear all the same clothes or have some sort of common identity because once the slaves realized how many of them there were, Rome feared of, of, of a serious uprising. And there were uprisings all the time. The most famous, of course, is Spartacus, I believe, um, and, and uh, there were other ones, much like the peasant revolts during medieval times. But slaves do not have the security, therefore they live in fear. They have no rights, no protections, no certainties. They are burdened with fear. After all, who are they going to take their fears to? Not to their master. Master couldn't care less. Not their father. Father's been sold somewhere else. What do slaves have? Sons, on the other hand, have nothing to fear. All that is the father's is theirs. They will eat, they will drink, they will rest under the protective care of a loving father. Make note that Paul describes here even slaves as sons. And I, I see that as a, another hint of a theological foundation that would lead to the abolition of slavery, which is why I would say our, our revulsion of slavery today is thanks to Christianity, not despite Christianity. But that's a footnote we can save for another time. But the fruit of our adoption is fearlessness regardless of our circumstances. After all, notice here, Paul says that you've been given a spirit of adoption as sons. As such, we are free and we are welcomed to cry, Abba, Father. 
Now, we've come across this word Abba before if you've been in church for longer than two weeks uh, because we, we see it all over the place. A word that was, it was a word in the ancient world, uh, it's an Aramaic word used often by small children in, in dressing their father. This is why you'll see a lot of scholars say that a modern equivalent to it is daddy. And that, that's fine, but, but I do to this day, maybe it's because I'm getting old, I do think it's weird when people pray to daddy God. <laughs> I don't know. This always sounds weird to me. I get what you're doing with the Abba thing, but it always sounds weird to me. You do whatever you want, I guess. Uh, let him handle that. Because daddy sounds sacrilegious to many. Father doesn't. You see father all over in the Bible, and we grew up with that tradition. But nevertheless, uh, I do think there's some, some truth to it, that the idea is not the title we use, but the intimacy we enjoy with our father. Like a child with a daddy. Like Jesus with his father. After all, this is what Jesus uses in Mark chapter 14. Jesus said upon the cross, Abba, Father, or, or uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And notice again the reference to the Aramaic Abba. All of this is written in Greek except for one word, and that is the word for Father. Paul will reference Abba in Galatians 4. We saw the parallel this passage this morning. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look, here's what we need to see is that only children call their father daddy. Only children do. No one else in, in my life dares to call me father, dad, daddy, or the old man off Butler Street. No, no one does that. My sister and her kids don't do it. My parents certainly don't do it. My friends and other family members don't do it. Y'all ain't going to do it because we're not Catholic. right? We, 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 we don't do that. Why? Because only children use a title like that. It is a title of intimacy. When I was growing up, I asked my parents, whenever I discovered that their real name wasn't Mom McDaniel and Dad McDaniel, I asked them, what is your real name? You know? and, and they told me, like, well, why don't we call you William or Bill or Billy or Moto or Billy Don or William Donaldson, whatever name he's going by this week, and why don't we call you Linda? And, and they said, well, because if you did, you'll be spanked, <laughs> right? That was it. That was it. <laughs> that was the end of that. Now, now, there was more than that. They explained, look, th th these are terms of intimacy, authority, and respect. That this is a relationship that is shared only between your father and I to you. We wouldn't speak of other people as sons and daughters, much the same way you wouldn't speak of anyone else's father and mother. This is a special relationship here. You only have one father. You only have one mother. So all of that is to speak of intimacy. So when Paul says you have been given not a spirit of fear by which you have no one to cry out to, but rather you have been given a, a spirit of fearlessness by which you cry out, Abba, Father. So just as a child knows that when he cries, it will solicit a response from his father who is near and strong, so too we are free to do the same with God the Father. Charles Spurgeon is really helpful in this passage where he, he, he says, um, the spirit of bondage made us fear, but the spirit of adoption gives us full assurance. That fear which distrusts God, that, uh, um, that fear which makes us think that all his love will come to an end, that is God gone, for we cry, Abba, Father. And that cry is the death of doubting and fearing. We sing to brave music. I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I am committed to. You see the point, right? My, my son and daughter aren't too worried about 
dinner tonight. They're not too worried about a roof over their head tonight. Because they have cast all of those fears, all of those concerns, all of those burdens to a father and mother who loves them. Why don't we do the same thing? We burden ourselves unnecessarily for the simple fact we forget that God is our Father. This is why Paul warns us of both libertarianism on the one hand, legalism on the other. Both are a yoke of slavery. We don't want either or. We want Christ, whom we are joined heirs with Jesus. Speaking of being joined heirs, let us look at not just the fruit of our adoption, the assurance of our adoption. Verses 16 and 17 See it there again, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, not we will be or we could be or we might be. We are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Just to remind you what it all that Paul argues here in, in this chapter, and as, as, we, as we come here to the conclusion of this text, these three things is adoption is an act of grace, adoption is a protective grace, and adoption is an assuring grace. It is grace, it is protective grace, it is an assuring grace. And here the assurance is made abundantly clear. Notice two things Paul says about our assurance in Christ. First of all, we are secure. We are secure. You see it there that we are children of God. And since we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. The beauty of family is security, isn't it? I know that there are people in this world who love and accept me. And I know as part of marriage, there are people in this world who usually love and accept me. And that's the beauty of family. I may be a weirdo to everyone else, but they accept my weirdoness. After all, I accept their weirdoness. We joked about this this morning. We've joked about it every Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and Father's Day. You have weirdos in your family. Yeah, we all do. You might be the weirdo. But, but, but we know that because of family, I am loved. That's really, in many ways, the only way we get through, what, adolescence? You can be picked on at school, but when you come home, you know that you are loved. This is certainly true when it comes to the relationship of a parent to their child, no matter how bad things might get, my son and daughter will always be my son and daughter. There's security in that. Doesn't mean there won't be hardships. Doesn't mean there won't be disappointments. There won't be, there won't be hard conversations or, or disapproval. But it does mean at the end of the day, they are my and my wife's son and daughter. Spurgeon correctly notes that the phrase eternal life doesn't make much sense unless it is, in fact, eternal. I don't know why that was so brilliant when I read that the other day. But it's brilliant, isn't it? We use a phrase like eternal life, and then we contemplate, is it really eternal? Well, if, that, if there's an if in the word eternal, then it isn't the word eternal. Eternal life, secured by the Father, is itself security. After all, that's what chapter 8 is really all about. If we are found in Christ, the Spirit will show us that we are no longer sinners but saints and we are no longer slaves but sons. That is the assurance of eternal life. That is the security we have in God as Father. God is our Father, not God may stay our Father or God may one day be our Father, but by 
adoption, God is our Father, and nothing will change that. We may become prodigal, we may become confused, we may become anxious, we may become whatever, but the good news is that we are children of God. But notice, secondly, as we are given an inheritance as God's children. Proverbs 13, 22, uh, Solomon tells us that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. His, his basic point is, is, that, um, uh, is that the righteous man, the wise man, is one who will live his life for the benefit of the generations that follow him. That's a simple application of that. Now, when we hear inheritance, we, 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 we think in terms of finances, and that's true. Um, but in the ancient world, inheritance was primarily tied to land because you would inherit your father's farm. And that's, we, we still do some of that today. I, I'm the only kid still in Kentucky, which means I have to put up with mom and dad. And that means that I will be stuck with everything they own, right? and, and including the land. Right? They, they, they own some property. They want to expand on that property, the house and all that sort of stuff. Right? There's something good about that. We, we still have that uh, to, to this day. But the point is that what a man leaves behind is important. Did the father spend his entire life uh, living for himself or to the very end did he secure the well-being in, of his family and their children? Here's the good news we have here. You and I, in Christ, are joint heirs with Jesus. Joint heirs with Jesus. Can I, can I confess something to you? I don't really know what all that means. But it sounds really good. Wouldn't you agree? Like, I think this is something like we know and we could give the language and we can sing it. You and I are joint heirs with Jesus, co-heirs with Jesus. Much in the same way, my brother and sister and I are joint heirs of Billy, Don, and Linda. I know what that means. I don't know to the full extent what this means. I can give you a few ideas, of course. I mean, I did go to cemetery. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Notice, He is the Father of Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, that's the gospel in a nutshell. The Son of God has called us to be sons of God via the resurrection of Jesus to what? We've been raised to what? Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you, in, 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 for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice here, salvation is now that we have been called as sons of God through adoption, but also we await our salvation. That is the imperishable inheritance that awaits for us in the kingdom of God. I don't know what all that means, but it makes sense. What we have secured for us is waiting for us, kept for us by God himself. That is security leading to inheritance. Spurgeon, again, is really helpful in these regards. He makes two points regarding our inheritance. The first thing he says is that our inheritance is tied directly to Christ. He preached, quote, it means, first of all, that our right to the divine heritage, whatever to the full extent that may mean, stands or falls with Christ's right to the same inheritance. We are co-heirs. If he be truly an heir, so are we. And if he not be, neither are we. 
Our inheritance is tied directly to Christ. So this isn't something that we've earned. It's something we've received by adoption. We become sons and daughters of God. Second point he makes the opposite. There is no inheritance apart from Christ. This means that all that the Father has that is now available to us, which is available to the Son of God, is available to us. All of that is based off of the prerequisite that we enter into our inheritance as Joint heirs with Jesus. That means there is no inheritance apart from Christ. So if you try to weasel your way into heaven, good luck with that. Think about it. My, my, people I, I, I grew up with, I graduated with, we just celebrated our 20th uh, reunion with. Those people that I haven't talked to for 20 years, many of those who didn't show up I haven't talked to for over 20 years. How weird would it be if they showed up on the day of, of, of the inheritance being passed, all that sort of stuff? And they said, oh, I'd like to make a claim to the rights of everything. We'd say, who are you? Who are you? You're not the son or daughter of these folks. So too, if we want the inheritance of the Father, it must come by the means of Jesus. What good news that is. Isn't that good news? And I don't know the full extent of that. I'm still figuring it out. But I do think it's worth meditating on. You, right now, not based off of your feelings, not based off of your circumstances, not how you wish things were, or how things turn out, what they might become, or your fears, or your whatever it is. Not based off of any of that stuff, but based solely on Christ. You are a co-heir with Jesus. That sounds better than anything I've really thought about. And if we would focus on who we are rather than what we used to be, what we think we ought to be, or what other people say we are, Will we not see the benefits, the fruit, and the assurance of faith via our adoption? I came across an interesting story, a man by the name of Jay Spites. I'm probably mispronouncing that name. He grew up in New Jersey, just a regular New Jersey dude. He had a funny accent and everything, I'm sure. He became an adult, lived in a lowly apartment, didn't even own a car because that's the way they do it up in Yankeeville. Well, one day as an adult, he took one of those DNA tests. I don't know if you've done one of these. The government appreciates you doing that. I've done it. I, I am Scott Irish. You already knew that by my last name, didn't you? So uh, I'm really upset with the, uh, 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 the Normans did coming up through Britain and the Anglo-Saxons. They really made life difficult for my ancestors, and I'm entitled to, to their goods. Anyways, so, so, so this guy did a DNA test, and he discovered something incredible. He was royalty. Not, not that he was a descendant of royalty. He was royalty right then and there. He was from a, a small West African nation. And so when he discovered this, he went and, and he found something fascinating. They, they, they welcomed him as the prince he was. In fact, let me read to you from, from NPR. Uh, uh, it says, when he first arrived, he saw what looked like a festival, hundreds of people dancing and playing instruments and singing. It took him several minutes to realize it was a welcome party for him. He was a prince. He was royalty. Imagine living your entire life ignorance who you really are. But once you do realize who you are, that makes all the difference. As the adopted child of God, you are co-heir with Jesus. You now know who you are. Isn't this why we Sing the Gaither hymn. I've told you this before. Growing up, we had two Gaither hymns in our hymnal that we glued inside of our hymnal. And this was one of them. 
from the door of an orphanage to the house of a king. No longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags on the riches, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I am part of the family, the family of God. Well, let's pray, shall we?